Okay, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Church 21. Um, we're so glad you're here to join us this morning for our new our series that we're into week three of, which is Unmasking uh, Emotional Healthy Spirituality. And the title of today's sermon is Going Backward So We Can Go Forward. I do a lot of counseling at Church 21, and... Um, one of the things that we often see in our counseling ministry is a necessity to kind of ask a lot of questions and get a lot of background information uh, from the people uh, that, that we care for. Um, because there are a lot of things in their, in their lives that influence their, their current situation. Um, the Bible actually talks about that and says that um, sometimes or often the sins and the actions of our ancestors to two, three, and maybe even four generations back can affect us in the present day. And often, because it's so far back, it's hard for us to see. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, in Scripture, actually, it says that uh, the Lord uh, visits the inequity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Um, uh, to those who hate you, him, uh, but showing steadfast love to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. And so we see this in Exodus. We see this uh, both in Exodus chapter 20, uh, chapter 34. We even see it in uh, the uh, book of Numbers, uh, chapter 14. And all of these books, we find them in the first five books of the Bible, it's the Law of Moses, and this is um, this is a, these are five books that Moses wrote uh, that were given to him uh, by God, and that's going to be important. We're going to talk about that a little later on as well. Um, so, how does that work in our lives? Well, oftentimes our parents uh, sin, and that can have an effect on us because and how we respond uh, to that sin. Okay, uh, and we're going to look at some uh, some examples. We're going to look at a fictitious example um, from a TV show, and uh, we're going to also look at an example of a family in the Bible. Um, so we're going to talk first about uh, the Longmore, the Langmore curse. Sorry, uh, the Langmores are a family that live in in the Ozarks uh, in Missouri. And um, they are actually very, for the most part, intelligent people, entrepreneurial, and shrewd uh, in their character. And those tra traits run throughout the family and most of the family members. Of course, some are not as intelligent and some are more, but you kind of get, get the gist. And, but the advantages that they have and the traits they have, okay, for all they might bring, the Langmore family grew up on the wrong side of, uh, of the Missouri River and were known to have what is called the Langmore Curse. Um, it seemed to follow them everywhere. Uh, they talk about the curse as if they're victims of it. Uh, if uh, Ruth Langmore who's the daughter of Cade Langmore, the uh, patriarch of the family, uses phrases like, it's different for us. And when talking about opportunity, she says, it's not for us. It seems like there's this heavy weight of failure that hangs over the Langmore family, and they call it the Langmore curse. Uh, Cade Langmore, uh, for all his intelligence and shrewdness, 
decided to use that intelligence and shrewdness for theft, assault, and, I mean, I don't think this is very intelligent, but maybe even murdering his wife. Cade has two brothers, Russ and Boyd, who are also neck deep in uh, all sorts of illegality and immorality. And each of these men try to figure out how to get ahead. But the way uh, they do always gets them into trouble. Nothing ever works out for them because it's different for them. Uh, Opportunity is not for them. They're always under the Langmore curse. Wyatt Langmore, who is uh, Russ Langmore's son, is really smart. His cousin Ruth uh, believes in him. Uh, She's the daughter of Cade, as I said before. And she sees so much potential in him that she's willing to do just about anything to help him go to college and get out from under that curse. Uh, She believes in him so much that she's willing to go to work and launder money uh, for somebody and do all kinds of things to gather enough money to send him to college. But the problem is that Wyatt believes so deeply in the curse that it seems to always drag him down. In fact, Wyatt eventually uh, hooks up with um, and starts dating this cocaine grower in the neighborhood who, who has fields of poppies that she turns into money. Uh, And Ruth also, as I said before, launders money for her employer and had a part in actually killing Wyatt's dad. Ruth even falls in love at some some point in the story. And when it starts to look kind of good for Ruth and things are kind of turning her way, um, she's kind of like a moth though, right? Who flies too close to to the burning light of crime. And because of that, her boyfriend is also killed because it's different for them because opportunity is not for them. It's the Langmore curse. So Ruth has grown up, grown up believing these words. She's even heard her father reinforce this narrative by telling her you're weak and you won't mount to nothing. It's always going to be different for Ruth. Opportunity will never be for her. She will always be under the Langmore curse. And sometimes we use phrases like this as excuses for our behavior. It's just the way it is, we claim, and we claim to be victims of these situations. We say stuff like, what do you expect? It's the Langmore way, or it's the Alton way. And oftentimes we are at war with these overarching statements. Uh, These beliefs are unrelenting taskmasters uh, that we allow to drive and excuse our behavior. What can we do? It's the Langmore way. How can we even almost here, sorry, here we can almost even become worried of betraying the underwritten beliefs and family identities that we hold so dear. Uh, and if we're not trying to hold on to them and maybe trying not to betray them, we might be even working so hard and devoting our entire life to cutting ties from these family themes. We say things like, I'll never be like that. And we live our lives trying to be uh, the antithesis of our family narrative. Sure, uh, 
there are definitely things that we would want to get away from. And if any of the Langmores wanted to break free from that curse, they could just stop, you know, committing crime and start moving in a different direction, right? Um, but the problem is we, um, we see our identity in these things. And when we, we find our identity in them, in actually trying to break free from them, I'm like, I'm never going to be like them. Uh, then we become bitter in our hearts. So whether we identify ourselves as victims or crusaders against those narratives, we're unsettled and we're looking for peace. Only God can give us peace, perfect peace. Instead of repeating our family motto or defect, we can look to God to fix our hearts. It says in Isaiah 23, uh, 26.3, God gives us perfect peace if we fix our minds on him and trust in him. So as already mentioned in the Bible, the Bible tells us that there are aspects of our sins that are generational. And I know for some of you, this is really hard to hear. <clears throat> some of you, <clears throat> excuse me, have felt, spent a whole lifetime trying to hide away from the sins of those who have hurt you. Uh, people who were meant to protect you and didn't. Uh, it feels sometimes almost like a betrayal to acknowledge that someone you love sinned against you. We wouldn't want to talk badly about that person or that person. You can't believe the things that you... And the other thing is you can't believe that there's things that you've done that could directly hurt other people, like your children. But even if they could hurt your children because they're close by in proximity, well, not your grandkids, right? And certainly not your great-grandkids. But let me tell you, if my life is a small glimpse into the kind of suffering that, can, uh, that sin can cause, and for how long, man, it's going to take a long time. You know, I did things when I was younger that I'm still suffering for today. I did things when I was younger that my kids are suffering for today. I, I sometimes worry when I see Skylar... She, she misses her brother and her two sisters a lot. And she likes to hang out with them. Now, they're older, right? And they, um, you know, but they still like to hang out with her when they're around. But the truth is they're not around. They don't live in the same house. And so my daughter misses out. My older kids miss out on Skylar. And I feel responsible for that. And that's just one small thread that we pull at. And I'll be honest with you, one of the unhealthy ways that I've reacted is I'm a bad dad. That's a narrative. That's a, that's a narrative that I kept repeating over and over and over again in my own head. Again, that's just one small thread. And in counseling, uh, one of our jobs as counselors is to pull on those threads and see what lays at the root uh, at those root sins and what they're attached to. Um, what we realize is that there's often a common thread in our family history. They're, they're not always black and white or linear uh, in nature. They're often complex and layered. Um, they're, they're also not obvious to the sinners. The, oftentimes the people we counsel don't always see them right away. It takes a lot of questions and amassing different pieces of information so that we can point to themes that are happening 
in people's lives. And often attached to those threads are lies that we have to speak against with truths of God. So the events of our past, good or bad, have profoundly impacted how we react to events today. We have to prayerfully pause and consider what events and, uh, and influences are in our lives and affecting us today. And so that brings us to our text today. We're now going to look at the family of Jacob. And so I'm going to read uh, from Genesis uh, chapter 50, 15 to 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, your father, of your father, Joseph, wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Let me pray for us. Father God, as we uh, listen to your word today, allow it to speak and minister to our hearts. Allow uh, your word to come in and, and undermine the different narratives that are lies that we believe and that we act out of. Lord, we pray that your spirit come into our hearts and convict us and transform us so that we can live lives that are free from the past so that we can move forward in you. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So having read uh, this little piece of the story of Jacob and Joseph, um, this, is the his this is part of the history of Jacob's family. And this is one of many threads. There are many and they're layered. And we could talk for days about all the dysfunction and the different things going on in Jacob's family and Joseph today. Um, the, and the story... But the story is complex. But the one common thread that we see throughout the entire narrative is that there is a thread of deception. People lie. People are deceitful. People try to go around things so that they can either spare their lives or get what they want. Um, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, that's who this family is. And often... Um, and we're going to look at a few uh, deceptive highlights. Basically, Abraham uh, twice lied about Sarah being his sister, thinking that uh, the, the kings or the rulers of the neighborhood would not harm him. Uh, Isaac, who is Abraham's son, also lied about his wife, Rebecca, being his sister for the same reasons. Jacob, who is Isaac's son, hope you're following still, kind of done with the whole she's my sister thing, but... Jacob had his own problems dealing with his future father-in-law who had deceit and uh, that netted Jacob two wives, 
I'll be honest with you, having one wife is good and amazing enough. I don't need to. I don't know what I would do with two. That's crazy. But he had two wives. And J- but Jacob also did engage in deceit. He did steal his brother Esau's blessing from his father by pretending to be his brother. I want to ask you, is this soap opera getting confusing for you yet? Because, man, it's hard to follow sometimes. Joseph's brothers also sold Joseph into slavery and lied about it to their dad, Jacob. So all that to say, deceiving folks was a huge thing in this family. It seems like it's all they did. So being deceptive wasn't a stretch for Joseph's brothers. So let's read in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So before we get to the deception part, what we get to see uh, is why they chose to deceive, uh, why they wanted to deceive Joseph. Uh, The brothers obviously here seem to have feelings of guilt and fear of retribution retribution from Joseph um, the, for the fact that they sold their, br- their brother into slavery. And that, that fear uh, still followed them. That guilt still followed them. Even to now, it comes back to them in spite of the fact that earlier on in this narrative, Joseph already showed favor to them. He did good things for them. He brought their father over from starving in, 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 in Israel to come to uh, well, in Canaan to come to, uh, to come to Egypt so that they could live and, and live with him and flourish. And they, they didn't even see the goodness that Joseph had done for them. And they were still afraid. Their conscience after all of these years was still bothering them. So here's what they did out of fear. In verse 16, so they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. I almost, want to, I almost hear uh, somebody going, yeah, say that to him. Yeah, that'll do it. That'll convince him. Out of fear, they made up a story. Now, there's no evidence in Scripture that Jacob, their father, knew about what they did to Joseph. Um, in fact, Jacob goes through a whole list of blessings for each of his sons, and uh, he never really once mentions the whole thing about selling Joseph into slavery in Egypt. So we're pretty sure that Jacob was one, unaware when he died. So the fact that they said, yeah, Tell them that dad said you should forgive us for this means that they are deliberately lying. Once again, family of Jacob, family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, lying again uh, to try to get ahead, to try to avoid consequences for their sin. Um, And the funny thing is, and there's a saying, a guilty conscience exposes a man's heart. And this is a good example of the spiritual unhealth that these brothers had. That even when they first came to Egypt to get food for their family uh, and their brother was testing them, they wondered if that testing was because of what they did to Joseph. They didn't know it was Joseph that was testing them, but they were like, man, 
We sold our brother into slavery in Egypt. I wonder if this testing is all because of what we did, what we did to our brother. You know, their guilty conscience kept brimming to the surface. Each one of us has things that bother our conscience. It's the sins that beset us. Last week, Pastor Dwight spoke about how stuffing down your feelings and avoiding them makes you less human. Instead of plowing through and ignoring them, we need to learn to pause and ask God what is happening in our hearts. God can tell us a lot about what's happening in our hearts. Let's look at this story that we're talking about now. This is a story that's part of the books that Moses wrote, uh, the first five books of the Bible, the Law of Moses, as some people refer to it as. And it's said in tradition that this law was dictated to Moses by God. Now, there's nowhere in Scripture specifically where it said, and Moses sat down and wrote all of these things, all five books, etc. It doesn't say that, but these books are written, and we believe that this is what Moses wrote. Uh, what I imagine, and this is just me imagining, this is not Scripture now, um, what I imagine is that probably sometime while Moses and, and Israel were walking around in the desert, he was like, man, how the heck did we get here? We were going to the promised land, and now we're wandering around in this wilderness. This sucks. God, why are we here? And God says, Moses, sit down, and let me tell you a story about your family. And he sits down, and he transcribes this whole thing before him. So God knew in his wisdom that it was important for Moses to know where he came from so that he too could move forward. And so now there's this interesting thing in verse 17 that I read at the end. Um, it says, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. The last time we see Joseph weeping is when he saw his brother Benjamin for the first time since he was sold to slavery. This seems to be uh, something that that Joseph is able to do to, to healthily respond to difficult situations. It's not foreign to Joseph. Um, think about it. You know, he was, sold, he, he was sold into slavery, ended up in Egypt, at some point ended up in jail, and he had a lot of time to think and a lot of time to mature from the arrogant uh, brother who said, you guys are all going to kneel down to me one day. Now he's in jail and he's being humbled and he has time to process. Um, and so eventually he rises to power in Egypt and then his brothers come. And when he sees that his brothers have arrived, he is so overwhelmed with emotion, but he doesn't want to respond out of that emotion. And so he leaves the room to cry. And then after he gathers himself, he returns and then deals with his brothers. This is an emotionally healthy response. This is, is significant because in our culture, we see weeping and crying as an emotional weakness. And, weak, and uh, the truth is that weeping gives us pause. We often try to control crying because it feels uncontrollable. But I think it helps us process what's going on in our hearts so that we can, so that the natural, so, so we see that in Joseph, we see that that's the natural rhythm for him to process pain. And, and this points towards Jesus who did this perfectly and Jesus modeled this too. 
Jesus wept when Lazarus was dead. There, shortest verse in the New Testament, or probably even in the whole Bible, Jesus wept. Two words, period. That's it. Jesus did that because he mourned the death of Lazarus, even though he knew he was going to raise him up a little later on. Jesus had sorrow over the city of Jerusalem because they rejected him. They rejected his call to repentance. And so he, he mourned over that. In Hebrews uh, chapter 5, it says that Jesus uh, wept tears of sorrow because, uh, because, of, um, because he was having reverence for God and, and mourning what was in uh, in, the, in Jerusalem as he was going to be sent to death on the cross. When we weep, we mourn the truths of what is. Joseph wept tears of sorrow because he saw their spiritual unhealth and tears of compassion because of his own desire to reconcile with them. And now Joseph's brothers again, reacting more than thinking. They say this, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? What Joseph does is he reminds them is that their fear and their worship that they're showing him should actually be directed towards God, who is the originator of all the grace and mercy that they received. And ultimately it's God who spared their lives. So let's put all this together. What we need to do is take pause and mourn the realities of our sin. And by repenting and turning towards God, God will comfort us. When we humbly place ourselves before God in true repentance, we too can receive God's comfort as a loving father. Verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. See, the overarching truths from God that break through our family narrative is that God works all things together for good, for our good. And that gives us life. And because of that, we do not have to fear because God will provide. And these are words that should be comforting to our souls. So what's it going to take for you to break free from the threads of sin that are woven through your life and that of your family? What sins uh, in your life have roots in your past? Have you taken the time to think about what those are? It takes humility and patience. It actually takes a community to support you in the process. But most of all, it will take nothing less than the power of Jesus to help you get there. Only Jesus can break you free from the sins that beset you. Jesus is the only Savior that will approach us while we are steeped in blindness and our sin and suffering and rescue us. It says in Romans 5, but God shows his love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ 
died for us while we're still sinners. It means that while our eyes are still focused on the wrong things, Jesus comes in and rescues us. And then it says, so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed in John 8. In 2 Corinthians, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, Jesus takes the narratives of our family, and he takes on our sin, and he places them on the cross, and he puts them to death. And this is the work he does on the cross. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming cursed for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Because he took on our sins and our curses, he can, only Jesus can break those. Only Jesus can take care of those. Only Jesus can, uh, can destroy the old narratives of our family, uh, family roots and our history. And because he destroys those and because he takes on those curses for us, we can have a new identity in him. Let's look at a couple of those uh, different aspects of our new identity. Dwight spoke about some last week. I'm going to add a few here. In Ephesians 1, it says um, that he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God has chosen you. And he predestined us for adoption himself, to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, you become a son or daughter of God. Isn't that an amazing and beautiful truth that you can believe today? And in him, we have the redemption through his blood. Jesus died for us on the cross. And it's through the blood that he shed on the cross that we are redeemed. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the richnesses, the richness of his grace. And in him, we have obtained an inheritance. No longer do we inherit the curses and the sins of our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents. But that sin and that curse can be broken if we look to and trust in Jesus. And Jesus says in Mark chapter 3, and he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. This is a really important uh, thing to, to grab hold of because now that we are part of the family of God, we no longer have to hold on to everything, especially the bad things that have to do with our family history. We can mourn them, we can process them, but we can also break free of them. We don't have to be culturally linked to them. We become part of a new family with a new purpose. In Christ, we stop we don't have to be slave to unhealthy family cultures because now we're one with Jesus. God, in the beginning, when he created man and Eve, he, he brought them together. He, he, he invented marriage and he made two become one flesh. And when two become one flesh, they no longer cling to their parents, but now to each other. And they develop new traditions and new cultures and they do new things together because they are one. 
when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and he brings us into his family, we become part of the family of God. And that makes us the church. And the church is the bride of Christ. And Jesus chooses us to become one flesh with him. We don't have to wrap our, our identities in our cultures and the way things were, but now we can be made new in Christ as his bride. And instead of repeating the words of Ruth Langmore, that it's different from us, and that those things are not for us, we can actually shout for joy that in Jesus, not only is it different, but everything is made new in Jesus. And our eternal and loving God is for us. And if that's true, nothing can get in the way of that truth. This week, just to make it practical, I'm going to send you away with this. We're going to take some time to process things. During the week, in your city groups, you're going to be invited to discuss uh, different aspects of your past. And the best way to do that is to make a few lists. What you want to do is you want to make four lists. You want to write down the influences and messages from your mother and your father. And just to speak into that a little bit, some of you have great relationships with your parents. There's still going to be things that you want to probably write down here. But some of you might be like me. My dad didn't speak very much into my life. In fact, my dad was extremely silent in my life. So silent that that's the voice. That your dad that's supposed to care about you and love you is silent. And that silent is deafening and it's uncomfortable. But you need to write that down if that's you. And there are other variants like that. So when you make your lists, make sure you include those things. Also include in your lists earthquake events, events in your life that have changed the course of your family's trajectory, your trajectory, people who have died, people who have been born, events, tragedies, amazing things that have happened. Write them down. And then... Write down cumulative messages, things that you hear and repeat over and over again, either in your family gatherings or in your own heart, and write those down too. Some of them are probably not even true, but write them down and feel free as you're comfortable to share them with your city group this week. So we're going to now respond. And we can respond in a few ways. One of those ways is through giving. This church, uh, as we try to minister to um, the, the people of Montreal and the cities around us, we're still moving, we're still going, we're still operating, even if we can't gather publicly. We're still gathering like this, and we're still caring for people, and we still need resources to help pay for our pastors and the different things that we need to do day to day. So if you are a part of this church, if Church 21 is your home, don't forget to give. This is really important. There's a button in the chat, in the chat next, to, next to us here, and you can, you can click that button and you can easily give through that way. And we also want to pray with you. If you have been uh, touched by 
the word of God today, if Jesus is now, if you're seeing Jesus as the one who's now broken into your life and wants to change everything and change the narrative of your life, if you now feel like you have faith in Jesus Christ, I invite you to push that, that button that says, I need prayer and that I've given my life to Jesus today. Be bold. Do that. Take that step. Take that, consider that pushing of that button, a big pause in everything that's happened before and an opportunity to move forward newly in Christ. And finally, we're gonna, we want to worship and sing together. We're going to sing a few songs and then we're going to have some reflections in between. And so I invite you to join with us and the different people that are singing to sing songs of praise to God and give him glory. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you uh, want to break into our lives and give us a new narrative, a new story, one that is completely and amazingly new in you, in Jesus, because you want to transform us. You don't want to leave us where we're at. Father God, you want to be our dad. You want to be the best dad. You want to care for us, love us, and comfort us, and give us peace. Lord, would you do that through the loving grace and work of your son, Jesus Christ, today? We pray all this in his name. Amen. Thank you, and have a great day. God bless.